Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. My name is Andrea Bricka, and I am your host today. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women who happen to also be both executives and lawyers navigate the boundaries placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we will hear a new story from a different woman about what that's like. Joining me today is Beatrix Washington. Beatrix is a Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary of O.C. Tanner. So, B, please tell us about who you are and about your current role. Good morning. Thank you for having me join you. Um, I am the General Counsel and Corporate Secretary of O.C. Tanner. O.C. Tanner is the leading global employee recognition provider Um, We develop strategic employee recognition and reward solutions that help our clients' employees accomplish and appreciate great work. Um, The company has eight eight offices in eight countries. Um, We have a manufacturing division in the U.S. as well as one in Canada. And we have three retail stores that sell luxury jewelry. I am a member of the company's executive team. I report to the CEO. Um, I provide what I believe is practical and creative guidance to the executive team on business strategy, compliance measures, employee employee matters, and commercial agreements. I also act as the corporate secretary of the board. And um, some of the nuances there are that we're a 90-year-old privately held company. So some of my responsibilities are to ensure that we're maintaining our founder's vision and his culture. Um, as well as maintaining the shareholders' reputation in the communities in which we operate. The company also has a charitable giving um, arm. Um, a portion of our profits go back to the communities in which we operate, and that's everything from sponsoring um, educational opportunities in those communities, donating to universities, as well as sponsoring cultural events in those um, communities as well. I also oversee the contracts, information security, and internal audit teams. That's a lot of responsibility. How did you get to where you are? What was your path to your current role? So I didn't have a clear path, and I know that's not a nice thing for a general counsel to say. Um, I am a reluctant lawyer. I attended law school because my parents were educators, and education was very important in my home growing up. Um, So there wasn't an assumption that I'd go to college. There was an assumption that I'd um, obtain a a graduate degree and if um, at all possible, a terminal degree. Um, So I I knew I'd go to graduate school. I decided I'd go to law school because I um, majored in political science and what else do you do with that? Um, But I also um, had an interest in the law from a very young age. Um, My parents both grew up in Mississippi during the civil rights movement My grandparents were extremely involved in voter registration um, and the NAACP. So one of the things that was always kind of in the background of my um, childhood was that 
um, education was important and that law could change um, the playing field for education. Um, I, I am African-American, so um, people like Thurgood Marshall and um, you know other NAACP leaders were always um, discussed in my home. And so knowing that the law was important to that movement, I think influenced my decision to be a lawyer. Um, I went to law school thinking, oh, this will be a great general degree that I have. While I wasn't interested in being at a law firm or billing hours, I was interested in business um, and being a leader in business. And I think um, I had a number of mentors that just assured me that if I just, you know, got a graduate degree and worked hard, um, I would be able to create roles for myself. And that wasn't an easy thing to do. And it's not something that I advise um, people that I mentor to do. Um, I do think there's a lot of um, great experience that you get in a firm culture that I missed out on um, in terms of writing and drafting and um, some of those um, activities. However, um, I, I took a path that wasn't necessarily um, one that was laid out in front of me. And uh, my first few jobs out of law school were not positions that one necessarily needed a law degree for. And that's not to say that my law degree wasn't an advantage. It just wasn't that I, ha I needed to have one. I worked um, initially in crisis communication for a large multinational PR firm. And then as a contracts manager for a department of defense contractor. And I think in both of those roles, I just tried to take the responsibilities that I was given and make them the most of them and just always continuing to gain additional skills and knowledge. Um, I have, I think, tried to pattern myself after leaders in the organizations that, um, that I worked in and tried to learn from them and just make the most out of every opportunity. Um, and doing that, I think, um, it's where I began to truly practice law in the traditional sense. I um, was working at a company um, and I negotiated um, a deal on one of the at one of the company's sites and it caught the attention of the general counsel who um, arranged for me to meet him and you know he sat me down. He's like, well, what are you doing? I understand that you have a law degree and he invited me to join his team. And from there, uh, my career has been influenced. Um, just by making the best of all of my roles and all of my assignments um, in a legal capacity um, and also making the best decisions for my family. Some of my career path has been determined by the fact that I wanted to um, not travel as much when I had um, a newborn or that I was able to have a more substantial role because I had a child in school. And that path or the lack of one has led me to working for aerospace companies, um, a nuclear services provider, a direct sales company, and now an employee recognition company. Has any one person been particularly helpful in your career? I wouldn't say that one person has um, been particularly helpful in my career. Um, there are probably groups of people um, throughout um, my journey that have been helpful. Um, my older brother is a lawyer um, who successfully navigated um, law firm partnerships um, and in-house executive opportunities. 
Um, he's now a federal magistrate judge. Um, so I've always had someone kind of alongside of me um, who's a little bit older and ahead of me on the path um, who has given me some, some great advice. Um, he's always gotten to places first, if that makes sense. Um, so it's just been nice to have someone who knows me extremely well um, to help me um, guide my career. Um, as a general counsel that I worked with um, some years ago, um, trusted me to take on any matter that I was interested in. Um, and on the condition that I became um, versed in securities law, he wanted me to um, start managing um, the company's um, legal filings, uh, SEC filings. And that experience allowed me to gain experience as a generalist because I got to learn as much as I wanted to about any subject that I wanted to. But it really was the first time that I started getting skills that you need to have for um, a public company general counsel, which probably up until um, he gave me that opportunity, I'd never um, considered um, you know, being that engrossed in the legal practice. Um, another general counsel that I worked for, also a securities um, attorney, he had been a securities partner at a large law firm, um, really, um, really sharpened me. He was the most meticulous um, GC that I've worked for. And he really helped me to refine a lot of my writing and drafting skills and he also made me um, a stronger um, securities attorney, which um, eventually was the, the thing that um, allowed me to move into a general counsel role. The fact that I had that experience and that background and um, just as life plays out, he also happens to be someone who called me up and said, hey, OC Tanner's looking for a general counsel. I think you should apply. Here's how you do it. Um, and forced me to do it within 24 hours. Um, so he was really, he's really been instrumental in my career in terms of my training, but also um, pushing me into new opportunities. And then I have um, someone who I consider to be my personal Yoda. Um, she is literally an answer prayer. She's um, another African-American woman who um, spent 20 years at one of the country's largest law firms um, and had a lot of experience advising executives and boards on different matters. And um, I, I really wanted a mentor who kind of understood the whole me. Um, you know, sometimes when you're um, a minority attorney, there are just things that you don't have to explain to someone who's similarly situated. Um, so you start your conversations in the middle or when you're asking advice for something, you know, they're already down the road on, on some of the things that they know um, are important to how you frame your career or, um, you know, any type of decision that you're making. So can you expand on that a little bit? What challenges have you encountered being a woman of color on the path to general counsel? Um, so I, I've, I, I have had experiences that I think are coming to light a little bit more um, with, with, a, with a lot of what's happening in our society right now. Um, I have, in some of my previous roles, been asked to explain why I'm in the room or why I'm working on a deal. Um, I, there might have been clients or even coworkers who um, worked at another um, site who um, show up for some type of meeting 
And they kind of want me to explain why I'm qualified to be in the room. Like, oh, you're B, um, you know, um, you know, like some, like a little bit surprised to see that um, I look like I do. Um, I've gotten questioned about where I went to law school, where I'm licensed. Um, there have been times that someone's asked me to, you know, give them a summary of my resume, like what qualifies me to be here. Um, and one of the challenges, and I think, um, as a woman of color in the legal field is that you you have to do this balance of one do you even need to explain yourself as, as well as you know fitting into the mold uh, um enough in a corporate um, in, a, in a corporate environment um that you're not harming your career um so if if i look at the questions of why are you here um or what qualifies you to be here you know for an observer um who doesn't understand some of the dynamics that a person of color may have um, in a corporate environment, those questions can be construed to indicate that I don't have the presence of a leader or that I'm not professional enough to be there. And depending on how you respond to that question, um, you know, there, there could be some indication that maybe this person shouldn't be here. Um, however, in most instances, um, it's just really the person questioning your credentials um, because they can't believe that a Black woman is leading the meeting or the transaction. Um, I've also, in my career, been placed in an acting role, um, meaning that um, the company tells me that I'm leadership material. However, they want me to perform the job for a while before um, they're, they're willing to extend me the the full-blown um, title. And it's very rare that men, or in particular white men, have a trial run at their jobs for more than a year. Um, and I think that's something that women in general experience, but I think it's something that women of color often have to um, experience. And what have you learned in recent months about leading during a crisis? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, you know, there are some great things that have come out of um, this pandemic um, with regard to leadership and managing. Um, our leadership team meets on a daily basis. I think that has given me an opportunity to um, really get to know each member of my executive team in a way that I don't even think we were afforded when we were sitting in a room with each other. Um, you know, frequently throughout the week, um, you know, we've known, we've gotten to know each other, I think, on a personal level um, through, you know, hunkering down together. Um, some things that we've done at OC Tanner is we've, you know, pivoted our business line. Um, we are a manufacturer of employee awards and recognition items. However, we um, entered the space of making face shields um, to donate to our healthcare clients. Um, this required us to um, train our manufacturing teams, you know, with new skills. We've had to source materials that we may not have sourced in the past. Um, it's required me to learn how to, um, what are the guidelines for manufacturing face shields? And unlike a lot of people who have moved into this space, we are giving the mask away, the face shields away. We're not selling them. 
And so then there's this whole um, area where I have to go learn, well, if you're just donating them, what's the liability there? Um, you know, how can we give these away in a beneficial way to our clients? And so those are some of the experiences that have been very meaningful and exciting and things that would not have happened um, outside of this pandemic. Um, but we've also gotten to get in our wheelhouse in a different way. Um, again, we focus on making experiences for employees better, um, but we've also gotten to partner with some of our um, clients who are involved um, in healthcare and hospitality industries and some of the industries that are um, most hardest hit by the pandemic and helping them find ways to recognize their frontline heroes um, in different ways um, and in ways that are more meaningful even than an award. Um, like what are you communicating to those employees? Um, and, and we're doing that internally as well. We have a manufacturing team that is on site. So how do we make the lives of those people better? Um, we've had to become experts in health and safety in a way um, that extends beyond our um, health and safety requirements for our manufacturing facilities or our employee handbook. Um, we have to understand how do we keep our employees safe um, in an environment that just isn't safe right now. We've also had to um, keep our employees' morale high. Um, Majority of our employees worldwide are working from home. Um, some of our sites are in countries that are much more locked down even than the U.S. Um, many of our employees are at home. They're parenting. They're teaching at the same time as they're working. So we've had to find creative ways to keep work exciting and maintaining our, um, our culture of recognition and rewarding people. So we've had to develop new ways of celebrating employee accomplishments and milestones and um, like service anniversaries. Um, we're now doing those virtually. And one of the things that's been nice is they're bigger. Um, the celebrations that used to be your, um, your just immediate team have now expanded to anyone around the world being invited to um, congratulate you. Um, sometimes we do simple things as simple as um, encouraging additional employee huddles. As I mentioned, the executive team meets on a daily basis, but I try to connect with my team more. Um, and sometimes it's just as basic as sending someone cookies um, because you know they're having a stressful day and that their kids need to pick me up. Um, because employee well-being is a part of employee culture, um, we have um, really featured the fact that we have employee well-being and wellness programs. Um, we have fitness, daily fitness classes that are um, conducted via Zoom. And um, our Australia team in particular it gets together for yoga classes. Um, so those are some of the things that we're doing just, you know, um, to to get through this next period of time. And some of them have been lessons learned that I imagine we will keep even when we're back in the office. So tell us a little bit more about your company and its role in employee engagement. Is there anything that you could share about data collected in the fast, past few months and what the future could look like in the workplace? So one of the things that we have 
historically done is we um, help our clients um, take a pulse of what their corporate culture is, um, what's important to their employees. Um, we meet with leadership to say, what is your culture or what do you want your culture to be and help them um, chart a path to that. Um, in addition to our traditional offerings, which focus on engagement and leadership and helping organizations find their purpose, um, we also have um, pivoted a little bit um, during this time to help employees and organizations respond to the COVID situation in, in different ways. We have a COVID-19 site that we host, um, and it allows companies to post about what's working for them. Um, you know, how is work, working from home um, going? How are you keeping employees um, engaged? Um, we share insights for appreciating employees um, during this difficult time. Um, some ways that don't necessarily have um, a monetary value, but are significant um, to the employee's morale. We, we have shared our best practices with um, clients and people who um, go to our site um, during this time on that COVID-19 page. Um, we talk about transparency. One of the things that, um, that we've done and that we've um, noticed that other clients, that clients of ours are doing, um, is just communicating more. Um, we have a daily email that goes out to all of our employees around the world um, that tells them, what are we doing? What's happening? Um, so that there is still a daily connection and people feel informed and that someone touched them that day, um, even though we're all working in our own little silos right now. Um, and, and that's been important. Um, it's, you know, the consistency of that and the, the level of detail of information that we're providing um, allows employees to feel like they're not in the dark. They're not guessing what's happening um, in their companies. Um, we've also conducted employee surveys um, and many of our clients have done this as well. Um, the data that we're getting from that is, um, we know that employees are um, apprehensive to go back to work. They're, they're nervous about um, what that looks like. And so companies are able to take that information and plan, um, you know, what will the workspace look like um, in the future when employees are returning to offices and as they're returning to offices. So on the job, is there anything, what if anything, that you wish you were freer to say or do at work, and why can't you? <laughs> um, so in my current role, I don't feel like there's something that I can't say, um, or there there isn't a way that I don't feel like I can contribute. Um, I'm encouraged on a daily basis to do that. Um, I, I think the, the hesitancy that I have um, working for a 90-year-old company that... Um, is well known. Um, we're headquartered in Utah, so very well known in the community as a business leader, but also um, a philanthropic organization. As I just, I am consistently um, monitoring what I what I advise um, through a lens of um, how will this impact this this um, large ship um, that's been working well um, for decades. Um, and I try not to have us um, move too quickly into an area or I'm, I'm cognizant of getting guidance from some of our long tenured employees 
of um, you know how something will be received. Um, in some of my prior roles, um, I think I um, was relegated to being um, just strictly the person that shows up and you know here's your this is what you can do um, from a legal perspective. You can do A or B, and you know kind of walking out of the room. And and that was probably what those um, companies wanted from me as opposed to um, being more strategic. But um, I, I think right now I'm in a, in a sweet spot where I get to um, be a part, a lot more of a part of the process and um, be a part of the conversation. What do you think has been stronger, the restraints you place on yourself or the restrictions placed on you by other people? Um, definitely the restraints that I placed on myself, um, you know, just growing into um, an individual, but also growing in my career. Um, I think I've become my more authentic self um, when I'm working. Um, when I was, and I'm not going to say younger because, you know, just as, as short as 10 years ago, um, worrying about um, whether or not um, me saying I'm, you know, leaving, you know, at four o'clock to go to a preschool um, play um, was something that I had concerns about and I probably fretted about. Um, so, you know, that's not something that I worry about anymore. Um, I think people know that I work hard. Um, I'm dependable. Um, so me doing something um, at my kid's school isn't going to be a deal breaker in how I'm perceived as a professional. Um, and I think oftentimes as women, we let those things play out in a way um, that men don't. Um, you know, the guys are going to go play golf. <laughs> They're going to go to their kids' soccer games, and they have no issue of talking about that. And I think as I've grown into who I am, um, I don't have an issue with, with saying those things either. What advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior? You know, um, when I'm mentoring um, young women um, who are entering the legal field, one of the things that I tell them is, like, don't feel like you have to check the box. Um, I think we like to be fully prepared for our next role. So if there are 10 things that you need to, 10 skills that you need to um, have to perform well on a role, we want to have all 10. And we look for ways to get experience in those 10 areas. Um, and the reality is, is that men look at that list and they see one or two and they're like, I'm ready. I will learn the rest on the job. Um, and, I, and I think we have to do a better job of, you know, just jumping out there and recognizing that we can learn on the job too. Because what I think often happens um, with women in the legal profession is by the time that we get the role, that's the next one, we're, we're, we're beyond prepared for it. Um, and so I, I think we need to um, take more chances. I've tried to take more chances, um, you know, on the second half of my career um, that I just, you know, you will learn it. Um, as, you know, I've, as I've mentioned, I've worked in aerospace. I've worked in nuclear services. I worked in employee recognition. So clearly I can learn about these different industries and those of the clients um, that those industries have supported 
Um, so just trusting that you can learn um, the skills that you need for your job as you're moving through your career. This has been Between the Legal Lines. You have just heard from Beatrix Washington, Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary of O.C. Tanner. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next month for a new story from another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.